Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This is Jeremy McFarland for the Footballist Family Podcast. And one of the things that I like most about doing a podcast is meeting different people. I've had the opportunity over the past uh, almost year now to talk to a lot of different people about what makes sports special to them, especially football. Today's guest is no different. We've had Dana Guster on before, but today he is on as a member of the Sports History Network with his podcast, Historically Speaking. I've enjoyed talking with him over the the weeks that he has been part of this network, and I think you're going to enjoy this interview as well, as much as I did, really. Dana is a very knowledgeable host. He is very knowledgeable in sports history, not just in football, but in a lot of different things, and he's a funny guy, too, so I know you're going to enjoy this. If you would like to be part of this podcast, maybe come on or maybe give me your opinion on a, on a football history or, or give me trivia, whatever it may be. You can message me at Jeremy underscore McFarland on Twitter or follow us on the Football is Family Facebook page. And as always, please go over to the Sports History Network at sportshistorynetwork.com and listen to it. I think we have around 18 different podcasts available to talk about sports history and, and many other things, but mainly sports history. If you want to be part of that, please go and subscribe and rate review each one of these great podcasts that we have to offer. And we're back to uh, Footballers Family Podcast. I got my buddy Dana Augusta from uh, – you want to introduce your program for us? Yes, sir. I'm Dana Augusta. I am the host of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast right here on the Sports History Network. And um, I'm glad to be here with my man Jeremy J-Mac, who I like to call. And um, – you know, I'm not sure if he likes that nickname or not, but that's just a nickname I just threw on him. That's one of the things we do in Louisiana. We give everybody <laughs> nicknames. So J-Mac is his, and um, I'm glad to be here once again, man, coming back as a returning champion. Well, yeah, there you go. There you go. Hey, just don't call me late for dinner. That's all that matters. You know? Right on. Right late. on. Right on. Now, Dana, Dana and I had uh, – we've been talking a lot about uh, life in general and, and sports specifically – and uh, your last episode, which I think uh, dropped—I can't remember exact date—but you talked about sports, what what things have uh, changed, and what we don't see anymore. Right. And uh, you know, can you can you tell us a little bit about? What some of the sports things in your life that have changed over the years? Oh gosh, um, some of the things that, that that I, especially since this is football. One of the things I talked about in my podcast was just different aspects of, you know, dealing with pro football. The stick'em was one of the things that we talked about on the show. Was um, how you don't talk, people don't use you can't well you can't use it now that you can't you know you can't use it, it's illegal. Stick'em was a substance. If you're not 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 sure about, it looked like if you milk took caramels. You know, the caramel squares and you put them in a, in a pot and you melted it and you just smeared them all over yourself to help you catch passes. That's one of the things that was outlawed by the NFL. Ken Stabler of the Raiders said it looked like you could lay brick with it. 
And um, it was one of those things that you don't see anymore. And that's and, and some of the things in, in sport in, in in football mainly that you don't see anymore is like college football all-star games and you know things of that nature that that you used to see. Like I remember as a kid growing up watching the blue watching the blue gray game out of Mobile, Alabama every Christmas. That was before the NBA took over Christmas. But uh, that was one of the things I used to look forward to with the college all-star games. And that's, that's two things right off the top of my head that, that no longer exist in, in, in football that was big. Also, the Burt Bell postseason playoff bowl, which was two third-place teams playing for basically for charity at the end of the year. There's nowhere in the world you get two play two third place teams in the NFL to play each other pretty much for charity. I don't think you see that anymore, do you? I don't I don't think so. Even though it would be pretty neat. It'd be pretty neat to see that. I think it would be one of those things that they said, you know what, we're not getting paid. We're not going to do it. Right, right. Yeah. You know, money rules everything now, unfortunately. But there's there's a few guys out there that just love that would just go out there just for the love of the game. You know, and um, and that's one of the things that, that that you really don't see anymore in pro football, I guess. Well, that's you know, and I'm I'm like uh, I'm like yeah, I think there's some things that are I'm glad that are changing, like um, you know how we view safety with football. Um, right. We don't want to see the Mike Webster's happen as often as no, they no, did. no. You're right. You know, safety has become a big issue in in the NFL, and, and, and rightfully so. You're looking at someone who dealt with a concussion in high school. You're also looking at someone who had a – my stepson had a concussion while playing football, so that was scary. You know, so safety is – the safety aspect of it is very important, and I'm glad they decided to make that a mandate along the, all across the league of – concussions and concussion protocol and all of that. Well, that that's important. And also um, it extends not only the playing life of a, of a person, but also the quality of their life too. Uh, but the things that I want to talk to you about, number one, we talked a little bit the last time you were on about Steve McNair. Right. And, and, and what, do I remember it correctly that you got to see him play in person? Yeah, I did. I did. I did. I actually saw him play in person twice, uh, his junior and senior years at Alcorn State. And like I said before, I have seen him do some things at Alcorn State that I haven't seen anybody do since. Um, If you could imagine Steve McNair in college was like watching um, the quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens right now, Lamar Jackson. But as big, almost as big as Cam Newton, do some of the things that Lamar Jackson does, but that size. That was Steve McNair at Alcorn State. He was absolutely scary to watch. He really was. Now, one thing about uh, about this, obviously, I'm, I make it clear that I'm a Titans fan through and through. I remember when he came, when they first came to Nashville, and he took us to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and. A lot of what you will read about him is he stayed on the injured list, but he was able to play through it. I don't think that you could find somebody as tough as him. Uh, I don't think you can do that today. I think a lot of people would probably say, you know what, you're up. We're going to put you up for a couple of weeks because of the beating he took. Yeah, it was right. It was a little bit of a different culture then because of like what we just talked about, the safety aspects of it. 
Um, that was the that was the main thing with with Steve was that he was so tough and he was so durable, but he was always hurt. And coaches now would probably put him on the side and say, "Look, you need to sit for a minute. You need to sit for a while. So um, you need to sit off." You know, rest a couple of weeks. We we got this until you were able to come back at full strength. But Steve, I don't think was the type of guy that would really want to hear of it. He would want to come out there and keep playing as much as long as he if he could walk, then he probably would be able. To, he'd be out like you'd be on the field if he could walk, knowing the way that he was. And he was that way at Alcorn, from what I remember. Well, that uh, Jeff Fisher once said that if he had a nap before a game, he was okay. Right, right, and that's just that's just who he was. Hearing about his gr- growing up in Mississippi, mm-hmm. that's the way he was raised, um, and and that's one thing about schools like Alcorn State and Grambling. You don't hear a lot about the college life of a lot of those young men who play there, but you're missing out of a lot of great stories. Number one, and number mm-hmm. two, a lot of great athletes that we're now just hearing about. Yeah, well, the well, the NFL did a really cool thing right before I think it was Super Bowl Fifty One, where they introduced all of the Hall of Famers that came from the historical black colleges and universities. I thought that was really cool. They did like a pregame ceremony, you know. They had all the guys like um, Mel Blunt and Aeneas Williams and. Jackie Slater and, you know, those guys, you know, Charlie Joyner went to Grambling, you know, a whole bunch of guys that went to those different schools that was, you know, that that, that made the Hall of Fame. And they did a wonderful ceremony that there were like many, many, many Hall of Famers that came and great players, nonetheless, who came out of those colleges and universities that you don't necessarily talk about or know about so much. Well, you know, and maybe it's time for the NFL to do more about that. Um, But when you do a little bit of research about historically black colleges and the the impact that they have had on the NFL, I don't think you have an NFL the way it is today. No. Without those trailblazers. Well, look, I, I, I did, I did. Actually, I was on on the show with um, the Pitchkin Dispatch a couple of weeks, actually a week ago, and I don't think it has dropped. It, it dropped yet, but we talked about the famous number twelves. You know, the quarterback. You know, all the guys that that the really great players that wore number twelve. We talked about all the great, all the Hall of Famers. You know, and future Hall of Famers and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. We talked about Starbuck and Greasy and. Stable and all of them, but I also brought to mind two other quarterbacks who also wore number 12 who came from historical black colleges and universities. That was a big, big impact on the NFL. And that was one, Doug Williams. Yes. You know, who wore number 12. Now, people remember him with the Redskins when he won the Super Bowl. He was wearing 17. Right. But when he was with the Bucks in the late 70s, early 80s, he wore number 12. And he was part of that part of the, the the resurgence of the Buccaneers when they went 0-26 and he was part of that that resurgence from worst to first type Buccaneers, that worst to first team in 79. And also talked about James Harris, who was the quarterback of the Rams in 1970, in the early 70s. And I told this story to Darren that a lot of people don't know that when James Harris became the starting quarterback for the Rams in 73, I think it was, 72-73, he took over for John Hadle, and he came from Buffalo. They were looking for a head coach. They eventually hired Chuck Knox. 
to be the head coach of the Rams. But a lot of people don't realize or don't know that one of the people that was up for the Rams for that coaching job that Carol Rosenblum wanted was Eddie Robinson. Really? Eddie Robinson was interviewed for the Rams coaching job in 1973, the job that Chuck Knox eventually took, because he had James Harris at quarterback, and he wanted his college coach to coach James Harris in Los Angeles. And Eddie Robinson really came close to getting that job. He really came close to taking it. I think Carol Rosenblum almost offered it to him, but at the last minute, Eddie Robinson said, I can't leave Grambling. I can't do it. Now, how long was he there at Grambling? 53 years, I want to say. Oh, just a couple of days then, huh? Yeah, he just had a cup of coffee with the, with the, with the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I remember correctly, he holds the NCAA all-time win record? Yes. Well, he's in the in, – in, well, I think it's passed now by Bobby Bowden, and, but he's had it for like forever. You know, I think Bobby Bowden has it now. Um, but he, if he, if he does have it, he, he, I think it's between him and Bowden, but I want to I want to say Bowden has it, but he had it for a long time before he did, before Bowden did. Well, let, let, let me ask you, take, you, you, uh, you, you watch football in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and you're seeing the difference. You know, one of the things that you talked about in your last was the things that are not there. How different would football be right now, NFL be? If it wasn't for well, the Steelers being the number one thing, the uh, looking at historically black colleges, how different was uh, NFL be right now without the black colleges? Well, let's say because eventually talent's going to win out. We yeah. get that. We get that, and people who are smart are going to realize it doesn't matter the color of their skin if they're good, if they're good men, if they're good at what they're doing. Let's put them in, and we're going to start winning. I don't, it doesn't matter, right? Um, but just say that it was 10 years later in the 80s instead of the 70s where they started looking at historically black colleges. How, how long will the NFL – how would it look today? I think that the NFL would be would, – I think the NFL kind of would be the same, okay? I think the best way to, to, to ask that question, I, I think, would be what would the NFL be like had – the, had, you know, I'm thinking I might be asking it the same way, but had the NFL decided to take the black colleges seriously, like after when they did, because the AFL was a team with the, with the league that really looked at black colleges more than anybody else. The NFL right. was, really wasn't into it that much. I mean, you had you had the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Chiefs were the main ones that were looking at black college athletes. They were the three main ones, and they were the ones who won mostly. Um, the, the Chargers and, and Sid Gilman was one of the first teams to really reach out to the black colleges. Al Davis was a member of, the, of Sid Gilman's staff who went to scout all of these black colleges and stuff in the late, in the early 60s. That was what gave, you know, and, and Al Davis just brought that same idea when he became head coach and GM of the Raiders in 63. But I think that with the black college, you know, with the black colleges, I think that you had a you had like a group of colleges that really wasn't looked at the way that they should have been looked at by the NFL. I think that the if the NFL would have took a serious look at them in the sixties, the same time the AFL did, then it would have been 
the game would have gone a little a lot further along a lot quicker than what it actually did. But I think that right now we'd pretty much be at the same spot where we are now. But I think that if the NFL would have taken a look at the black colleges at the same time and at the same intensity that the AFL did during that time, then the NFL would be a lot different. I don't think Green Bay would have won the championship that they did. I think teams like Cleveland with Jim Brown, with Jim Brown's influence, I think Jim Brown might have stayed with Cleveland just a couple of more years. And I think the NFL would have been vastly different than what it ended up being you know, without, you know, like the AFL did, you know what I mean? I understand. Um, and, and looking back, the AFL knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. Number one, talent. Right. But number two, they were, and, and this, they were an out, they were a, a, a conference or a league that was trying to make headways. Right. And, and, and they were making headways by saying, you know what, we're not worried about, color or where you grew up we want talent and i think if uh you're bringing up al davis uh al davis said said as much he didn't care who you were just can you play the game right you know one of his favorite quotes is we don't give we don't care where you come from or what color your skin is you know if we should we do we want winners that's what we want to win and we didn't care where you came from or, or, or whatever they didn't care Sid Gilman was the one because Sid Gilman, the coach of the Chargers, was the first coach that gave roommates room assignments on the road to people that was on defense. Like defense players were room together, offensive players were room together. Before that, it wasn't that. You know, it was like defensive players sleep, you know, you two defensive players, y'all sleep together, you know, so on and so forth. And they gave room assignments based on position rather than color pretty much and Sid Gilman was the first to do that now I'm sure I'm sure it took some getting used to I'm sure it did but you know what uh seeing how the Chargers handle things and especially now and I'll tell you what um you know men like Ben Roethlisberger owe a lot to people like Terry Bradshaw right um men like Russell Wilson owe a lot to to uh, people from the sixties and seventies who paved the way for us to be the way we are right now. And we owe a lot to them. Yeah. We owe a lot to them. And again, when we start to see a, a society where we don't care about the color, we care about the content of their character. I think we're, we're on the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I was taught early on when I was playing, you know, doing my as, as a kid growing up and and everything was that once you get in between them four lines, it don't matter. Can you play? Yeah. If you could play, then that's fine. You know, or like a musician, it's, you know, because musicians could, because I'm a big jazz historian too. I love jazz. And they, blacks and whites couldn't play together in jazz bands, but they used to have something called breakfast dances where the blacks and whites would get together after hours and just jam, you know, and and one of the things about it was that in the same way in sports that, you know, we learn from each other from different ways, you know, team, you know, players get taught different ways, but but when you get to the end, to the end means of winning games and stuff like that, there's a natural camaraderie that starts. There's a natural teammate. There's a natural friendship that develops over time because both, because you're, everyone is going 
towards that one goal, and that's winning games, winning championships, being successful, and that's all. That's all part of it, and that's all part of the whole thing about playing sports in any sport, really. That that the 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 having the, the, this one goal of winning a championship, or one goal of being successful, and that's that's the main thing that drives the whole thing. And see, this is the type of information you get on a historically speaking podcast. And uh, when does it drop, my friend? Well, I got another episode that's coming up that I'm in the process of doing as we speak, actually. And um, and it's, it's and most notably, this is like uh, my Black History edition, one of two episodes that I'm that I'm considering the Black History uh, episodes of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. This one that I'm working on, just a little sneak peek. This one that I'm working on is going to be dealing with the 1975 NBA Finals between the Washington Bullets and the Golden State Warriors. Why is that so important? That is the first time in pro sports history where you had two African-American coaches facing off for a league championship. 1975. Yes. The second time, of course, was Super Bowl 41 between the Bears and the Colts. But the no, I first remember time, that one. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> but the first one, 1975, Golden State and Washington. You know, I, I forget that the Bullets were called the Bullets at one point. Yep. Yep. I, I, I can't remember. The now. Yeah, I can't remember the why they dropped the Bullets, but uh, maybe because they don't like the idea of guns. But That's exactly right. Oh, is that what it is? That's exactly right. The owner of the Bullets at the time was, uh, I think, can't think of his name right off. It's not Ted Leonsis, but it's another guy. A. Poland was the owner of the Bullets at the time, and he didn't like the name because it represented violence and all of the gun crimes that was going on in Washington at the time in the mid-90s. So at that time, he said, we're going to drop the name. We're going to call them Wizards. Well, you can do what you want to. It's your team. Yeah. It's your team. But, you right. know, I, I kind of going back, and it's way off the subject of football, but I grew up in the 80s, and my favorite player was Magic Johnson. Okay. And I always thought if I could do anything like magic when I was playing basketball, I would be something else. And I could not do anything like <laughs> Magic Johnson. But I remember watching him and Larry Bird go at it. And I tell you what, when you do one over Larry Bird and, and Magic Johnson, let me know because that that to me is one of the greatest rivalries of all time. Those two yeah. guys. Yeah, I'm doing a eventually I got I think for the All-Star game, which is coming up in a couple of weeks here in Atlanta, I'm going to do one with my all-time All-Star teams from my childhood or from my lifetime, you know, which is from 1979 on. Because I remember when Magic played Bird in college for the championship. I remember that as a kid. I was what, five years old at the time? But I remember sitting there drinking the Coke with my grandpa, watching that watching that game. And that was, that was like my first experience of college basketball with him. And I became, I'm, you know, I'm a big sports fan, period. But if I had to choose college basketball over NBA by a very, very slim hair, it would be, the, the, it would be college basketball over NBA. But very, very, very slender. Now, now I'm going to test you right now. Are you ready? Go ahead. 1992. Okay. Summer Olympics. I believe it was Barcelona. Yep. Can you name five of the dream team? I could name, I could name everybody on the dream oh, team. Oh, good gracious. I want to hear them. I want to hear them. Let's go. You want to start in five? Oh, my goodness. See, this is, again, this is, <laughs> this is what you get from the historically speaking 
uh, podcast. Go ahead. Okay, starting five backcourt: Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. Right. The front court was Larry Bird, uh-huh. Scottie Pippen, okay, and David Robinson. You know what? I forgot the Admiral was on that team. He sure was, wasn't he? Yep. Then you the, had the second. The second five was John Stockton, right? Clyde Clyde Drexler, Clyde the Glide. Um, um, let's see. Patrick Ewing was center. Carmelo was power forward. Um, Christian Leitner was the only college player. Yes, he was. Chris Mullen was on that team. Yes. And I'm missing one. I am. Charles Barkley. That's right. Chuck was on that too. And surprise, surprise, they didn't lose a game. Uh, they, they, they didn't have a bad game. They didn't have a bad game. It wasn't know. even close. If you. Know, like, <laughs> I, I, and I think, Dana, I had a coat or a jacket from Kellogg's, and I used to have it. It had all the team on it. And when I opened the bag, it smelled like awful. So I didn't wear them because it was like paper thin, but I had the coat. Yeah. That team right there, if if you had them in their prime, they could probably beat most of the teams that you have around today. If you had them in their prime, I can't see them losing at all. Well, I remember Larry Bird was on his – stomach most of the time because his back was so bad but uh that team if you if you're listening to this and you're not from our time frame um google it uh that team was amazing and they pretty much said we are your daddy and you're not going to beat us and they i think most games were within 30 or 40 points if well, that close the, the the fun part was i watched i watched a documentary on them and I would have loved to have been sitting in the stands doing practice. Can oh, you imagine their practices? That probably was closer than the game itself. They were. They, 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 can you imagine Johnson and Michael Jordan? They had to put them on opposite teams because if they were together, they would, they would win every game. That's how, that's how crazy it was. Now I'm looking and, and we're going to wrap this up in just a second, but I'm looking at the zoom meeting and, and, Dana came on wearing his powder blue and dark blue Chargers hat. And, and I, you know what? I can respect the hat. I really can. <laughs> but what I can respect more is in, his, in the background, there's an original. Well, go ahead. Tell them what's in the background to your, to your left or to my left. You're right. Well, there's a poster of the original Star Wars movie poster from 1977. 1977. And I asked him and I said, I wanted him to be honest. Are you a nerd? And he said, he is. So folks, there's, there's so much right here, so much man love going on right now <laughs> uh, between the two of us. Number one, we're, we're, we're connecting on basketball trivia. And number two, we're connecting on being nerds. Cause uh, I'm looking in the back in my back. I have Batman stuff uh, everywhere around this office. Um, you know, see, there's a lot of in common here. And that's part of the reason why I'm glad he is. Uh, Dana is part of our uh, sports history network, but also he's a good person, good man. And I'm glad that he came on tonight. Oh, you man, wanna... I'm glad, glad to be here, man. I, I, I have fun doing this every time with you, man. And um, well, hope to be back on, you know, one time and one more time in the future. Oh, we got more than one time. Uh, you could be, <laughs> you could be, uh, uh, the football's family podcast. You could be our resident uh, stats guy. <laughs> um, but if you got somebody, it's something to leave us with some fact that historically speaking, we wouldn't know 
just anything. I don't care what sport it is. What would it be? Oh gosh, um, there's so much, so much to get, so much to get after. But I'm, I'm gonna leave you with this. I'm gonna leave you with a funny story that I was prepared to tell you tonight. Oh, good. And it has a, and it's, it's football. It's a football story, and it deals with me and my wife while we were dating. Okay. One Sunday afternoon, the Chargers were at an off week, and we went out to New Orleans or something. And I think it was New Orleans, actually. And we just spent the day together, whatever. So we decided that we were hungry. We wanted to go get something to eat. Well, we walked into this restaurant, and they had the Saints game on. The Saints were playing Jacksonville, okay? And it was a little time left on the clock. They had like a minute left or something, and the Saints got the ball. Jacksonville had just scored. They were up by seven. So we think, okay, we came in the right time. They're going to drive down the field, possibly score. Who knows? Okay. So we're sitting down. We're looking at this TV, right? Then it happened. I don't know if you remember this, but there was this one play. We played against the Jags where they threw the pass to Joe Horn. Joe Horn pitched it off to Deuce McAllister. Deuce McAllister pitched oh. it off to Devery Henderson. Yes. And it kept going and going and going. What do they call that? The relay? The, yeah. Uh, uh, the, oh, what do they call that? I think it was like the the Jacksonville or, or, or the Gatable relay or something like that. I forgot yeah. what he called it. But the Saints scored. And people in the restaurant were just totally beside themselves. Right. My wife, who is a Saints fan, was just so excited, you know, and me being a somewhat Saints fan, but more so Chargers fan than anything. And you know how sometimes you think of something in your head and you accidentally say it? Oh, I do that all the time. I get you. I understand completely. Well, that day I I, sitting up there setting up for the extra point. And I said to myself and I said out loud in front of all these people. Why do I get the feeling he's going to miss? Sure enough, John Carney, former Charger, snap, spot, kick, wide right. He missed it. The Saints lose. If you would have saw, if looks could kill, I would have been a dead man. Everybody in that restaurant gave me the look of death, including my future wife. You know, it would have been like if looks were guns, I would have been James Kahn in The Godfather when he got shot up at that phone, at that toll booth. Oh, it was goodness. that bad. And, I, and my wife, it was an hour trip back home. She didn't speak to me the whole ride back. <laughs> and you, how long you been married? I've been married since 2005. So, no, actually, she, 2004, actually, if my wife hears me, I Miss Cronin, yeah, she killed me. But 2004, we got married. Has she forgiven you? Yes and no. She, I'm not allowed to say, when things happen with the Saints, I'm not allowed to say anything. <laughs> she just gave me this look like, don't you dare say a word. <laughs> and you've learned, hadn't you? Yes, I have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. Yes, I have. I've learned many, 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 many lessons over and over and over again I've learned. I remember that game, but boy, I tell you what, um, I'm sure some of those fans in that restaurant were a little inebriated and they probably would have acted. (laughs) I was like, please, let me just leave out here. Look, I don't even want to eat anymore. Let me just leave, you know, but (laughs) (laughs) but that was like, uh, I I remember that every time they show that play, 
I just think about the looks I got that night. Now, were you wearing Charger stuff in there? I don't remember if I was or not because it was an off week. And so normally if I'm out somewhere and the Chargers aren't playing, I normally don't. So I probably was wearing like, just like a random baseball hat I had. So so you, it probably probably saved your life that day. You know, you know, I think I, I think at that time there were people just like kind of indifferent, you know. But I did mention that Corny Mr. Field after Corny Mr. Field goal, we were heading home, and I was like, "That's the reason why the Chargers released him." And my wife just looked at me with just like this this really blank stare, like you had to throw that in there right about the Chargers, right? You know, like screw you and the Chargers, you know, just stuff like that. So. <laughs> Well, where can we where can we find you, and what can we listen to 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 hear your voice? Well, once again, you can find me as part of the Sports History Network, uh, the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. You could also find me also on Twitter, Historically SP, and the number two. You can find me dropping knowledge every day about different things that happen in sports history, as well as just stuff, just random thoughts and ideas on on Twitter. But every and I'm trying to get it to where every show drops on Sunday or Monday somewhere around that. So I have a show coming up within the next couple of days, after, you know, within the next few days, and also another show coming right after that. Currently, again, like I said, I was working on the my Black History Month podcast dealing with the 75 NBA finals and the one after that gives you a little preview the one after that we'll be talking about the 1974 Pittsburgh Pirates the first team in major league history to have all black and hispanic lineup so that's a couple of things that's in the hop of work going on right now well thank you Dana for for joining us today and uh we'll have you back on Oh, man, I'm looking forward to it, man. Anytime, man. Had a blast once again. And that's why football is family. Thank you. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.